It's time for another episode of Gospel Preaching Live, brought to you by the Kearney Church of Christ, which meets at 406 North Clark in Kearney, Missouri. Make plans to come out and visit the brethren who look forward to seeing you. And now the host of Gospel Preaching Live, Richard Dodson. Welcome to Gospel Preaching Live. My name is Richard Dodson, and I am the minister working with the Kearney, Missouri Church of Christ. If you're ever in the area, we would sure love for you to come and visit with us. In the meantime, Gospel Preaching Live, which is why we are here this evening, comes to you every Sunday evening at, at 6 p.m., and that's Central Time, and then uh, every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. That's Lord willing. And so if you ever have the opportunity to tune us in on Facebook and YouTube at that time, you can watch it live. Otherwise, it is broadcast on uh, radio station KPGZ in Kearney, Missouri, as well as put in podcast form that you can download on Spotify or Google Podcasts. So I'd like for you to uh, look for us in that regard as well. If you do watch a show and you have a question, comment, or suggestion, you can reach out to me by calling 816-686-9517. That's 816-686-9517. Or you can email me at gospelpreachinglive at gmail.com. That's gospelpreachinglive at gmail.com. Now, for those watching on Facebook and YouTube, if you agree with the message, give us a like and share the message with as many people as you can. That will help us in being able to take this message to the whole world, which is our aim. We want to be able to use the internet to be able to edify as many people as we possibly can. <clears throat> this evening's lesson is going to be about removing the lampstand. Now, you may be thinking that that sounds a little funny. Why would you be talking about removing the lampstand? That is language that comes from the book of Revelation. Now, most of the book of Revelation. Uh, is is very figurative language, but the first few chapters are not. It's pretty much straight to the point. Chapter one, we have a vision that John had while on the Isle of Patmos. And we're going to pick up with that vision in verse 20 of Revelation chapter one. It says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so when we're talking about this lampstand, the removal of the lampstand, keep in mind these lampstands in the book of Revelation represent those churches that he's going to list in the preceding chapters, uh, the seven churches of Asia. And then in chapter 2 and verse 5, we see the first uh of the admonitions given to one of the churches, this is the one in Ephesus, and how they were doing everything they were supposed to be doing, but they had left their first love. And in verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. <clears throat> there, Now you know why I'm calling it re removing your lampstand. What happens when Jesus removes the lampstand? That's what I have often wondered. What takes place if he removes the lampstand? And we're going to talk about that. That'll be our first point in the lesson. But needless to say, it has something to do with our identity as a local church, uh, the, the church belonging to Jesus Christ, the church that Jesus Christ built. 
he's going to remove that lampstand, meaning uh, <clears throat> that uh, we would not be identified as one of his churches, uh, at least acknowledged by him. And so that's something that we have to keep in mind when we're talking about removing the lampstand uh, based on Revelation. That's a very serious thing. And so we have to wonder what, what's involved if we're no longer identified because we don't repent uh, what's involved if we don't repent uh, with the removal of the lampstand. Well, when we're thinking about the identity of church, we got to really look and focus on what the, the church identifying marks are. And one of them is what they believe and teach. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it is described, the church is, as the, as the pillar and foundation of the truth. In other words, the Lord's people, they meet in that locale, and they proclaim God's word, and they teach God's word. But needless to say, they obey Jesus Christ. That's what they're known for, is their obedience to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this about his people in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 14, 16. When he said, you are the light of the world, a city on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's exactly what the church is supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be reflecting Jesus Christ. And the only way you can do that is through obedience to his will. People can see Jesus by the lives that the members of that given locale are living. And if they're living uh, in accordance with Christ's word, then they're seeing what Jesus Christ would have been doing if he'd have been alive at that particular time. That's how they reflect Christ in their lives. Now, they do this because that is consistent with what brought them to Christ to begin with. In 2 Thessalonians 2.14, it says, we are called through the gospel. And so it is the gospel by which we have been called. It is that gospel by which we are to be obedient to. It is the gospel by which we are identified uh, by. And so with that gospel belonging to Jesus, we know that we belong to him. And so we have to make sure that we are obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's something that uh, has to be done, or else we might have our lampstand removed. And so when we're talking about the removal of the lampstand, now we're talking about consequences, the consequences of not obeying Jesus. And we're talking about a body of people that have obeyed Jesus, a, a, a group of Christians that meet and make up a local church who have named Christ, who have obeyed his will, who've been baptized for the remission of sins, and they've come to know Jesus. I mean, they, they have been obedient to him, but now they are turning from him. And so Jesus, that's what he's telling to the church at Ephesus. If you don't repent, I'm going to remove the lampstand. And so then we have to ask ourselves, what happens to that church if Christ removes the lampstand? Now, in the Old Testament, we have an example that when man was not obedient to, uh, to uh, uh, God, uh, God would give them up to another country, would come in and invade them and take them off as they did to Babylon, and they became slaves. 
Okay, that's the physical sense. But we're looking now at the church as the spiritual sense. What did Jesus say about his uh, kingdom? He said, my kingdom to Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so we're talking about in a spiritual sense now. And so what would be the equivalent then of the consequences of his church not being obedient to his will? Well, the first point that I want to bring up, and it's something that's that's very easy to understand, is that Jesus is no longer in our midst. And we have to think about what that means. If Jesus is no longer with us, then he's no longer in fellowship with us. And that's something that's very important for us to understand. He's no longer with us. In Revelation 1, verse 12 through 13, when it talks about those lampstands, Notice what's said about it. He said, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. That's Jesus. And so he was in the midst of the lampstands. If we want Jesus to be in our midst, then we're going to have to be obedient to his will. Uh, If not, he'll remove the lampstand. In Colossians chapter 1, And verse 18 through 19, notice what's said here in this passage when it talks about Jesus as being the head of the body, the church, the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, and everything he might have preeminent, might be preeminent. And then it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay, so now we're talking about that midst again. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We were called by the gospel We were baptized, according to Galatians 3.27, into Christ, baptized into Christ. And so he is in our midst uh, because we are inside uh, uh, Christ. Uh, He is the head. We are the body. And so with that, we understand that uh, uh, with Christ being in our midst, that is something that a Christian has knowingly joined uh, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Before he could come to God, he had to know, he had to hear, he heard the faith, and and he, uh, he was able to develop faith. So these are things that Christians know before they go to Jesus. And so in 1 John 1 and verse 6 through 7, uh, we find out what takes place, though, when after a Christian, our group of Christians, turn their back on the word of God. It says, if we say we have fellowship him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. So now we're talking about a fellowship thing where God is in our midst, he is with us because we're in him. We are the body, he is the head. And so with that, we understand then that there is a fellowship. But if he removes the candlestick, there is no longer fellowship. And that can really easily happen because in too many places and too many times, brethren want to change the sign. Instead of Church of Christ, they want to to say, uh, this is the, uh, I'll have my cake and eat it too, Church of Christ. In other words, they want to sin and they they want to be, go to church. That's not what happened at Ephesus. Notice, they were doing everything right. If you read what happened to the church there in Ephesus, they were doing everything right 
but Jesus rebuked them because they left their first love. And it was because their heart wasn't right, he was going to remove the candlestick. Just that, just that one thing. And so we have to be very careful as a local church of Christ, a local church that the Lord owns, that he is walking in our midst and with us and in fellowship with us. If we don't want him to remove that candlestick, we have to be obedient to his truth. Now, the second point is much different. And this is something we really need to think about before we choose to turn our backs on the word of God. Jesus, if he removes the candlestick, will no longer nurture and discipline us. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, what's the so what about that? There's a lot to that. There is This has serious consequences if we are no longer nurtured and disciplined by God. Now, notice what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10 through 14 says. It says about Jesus that he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Um, those are the things that he gave. He gave us teachers. And why? To build us up. And what is the purpose of building us up? He goes on in this passage and says this. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about to by every wind of doctrine, <coughs> by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. In other words, we're going to be stable. We'll be able to find out and know where we stand spiritually. We're not going to be deceived by the, the those evil deceivers who tried to fool us. We're going to be able to figure that out. Someone without Christ, without that teaching, well, they're like being out on the ocean. You're going to be just tossed back and forth by the waves, and you don't know where you're going to end up. Uh, that's That's the same way it is for someone who is out on their own without Christ. They're like being stuck out on the ocean, being tossed by the waves, and that's not something that we would want. Now, before you think that the Lord would ever not want to teach uh, people in, in his church, remember, we're talking about those who him he's, he's given up on. He's removing the candlestick. And we can see this is something that happened even in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles 15, verse 3 through 5, we find out that there was a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. And so my point being is that there was a time when there was no teaching priest and they were without law. And so don't think, don't be surprised that the Lord would remove his teachers from a church. Why? Because he's giving up on it. He is removing the candlestick. Why would he continue to send teachers and preachers to a group of people who are turning their backs on it? And we have precedent for this. The Apostle Paul, what did he do with the Jews? He shook the dust off his feet. And he told them, he said, look, he goes, you count yourself unworthy of eternal life. I'm turning to the Gentiles. So this is something that has happened 
And uh, we have to understand that we cannot take for granted the teachings of God's law. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, we have another point that we need to consider when we're talking about the Lord nurturing us. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, but he will provide a way of escape. Well, without Christ in our midst, he's not going to be there to be able to stop this from taking place, stop us from getting deeper and deeper into sin. He's not going to provide that way of escape. This promise is for those who are being faithful to their Lord and Savior, Jesus. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, it says the Lord is faithful, and notice what he does. He shall establish you and keep you from evil. Not if he's removed that candlestick. That is being said to those who choose to be faithful in the Lord. And so is he going to keep us from evil? Uh, Is he going to establish us if he removes the candlestick? I would say no. Now, another point uh, besides nurturing that we brought up is discipline. And discipline is something that we should love. Discipline comes in many forms in the uh, New Testament. One such form is, is just by the uh, the rebuking of the teaching and preaching. Uh, but one form comes with the church obeying God's will and withdrawing from those uh, members as they walk astray. Because as Jesus said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And we have an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with a man who who had his father's wife. They were instructed to withdraw from him. That is church discipline. That is not the members doing something of their own will. Those are the members taking part and, and obeying Jesus. That's how Jesus disciplines church members. And uh, what happens if we don't have discipline? Well, he says in verse 8, if you are left without discipline, Hebrews 12, 8, he goes, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Uh, people without discipline are not loved. You know, parents who don't discipline their children definitely have no care for them. But we understand if you've if you've ever disciplined your children or if you've been disciplined, you know, as in verse 11, the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of the righteous to those who have been trained by it. And so this is what the Lord does. The Lord disciplines us, and, and by our obedience to him, we understand that even withdrawing a fellowship can be a form of discipline in order to be able to uh, bear peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the whole purpose of it. And again, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, here's the command for the church to withdraw from that one who walks astray. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, it's a prodigal son sort of thing. We just turn somebody loose. They're wanting to act like the world. They're not going to repent. You turn them loose. That's what the Lord is saying to do. And hopefully, as they go out into the world, and they suffer all the consequences of uh, sin, which I believe is what is meant by the destruction of the flesh, then they will come to their senses as the prodigal son did when he wanted to even eat the food the food that was being given to the, the hogs, but nobody would give him any. And he decided it was better for him back in his uh, living with his father. 
And so his mind was raised right. He came to himself and he came back. That is the purpose of this discipline, is so that the spirit may be saved. And 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15, we see this command, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so here we see, again, the purpose of this discipline and how it's supposed to be administered by the church. And the purpose of it is to shame him, to help him to see that he'd done wrong. What do you do when you discipline your children? What is the hope? The hope is to teach them how to be ashamed of what they've done, that it's wrong. And you want them to be ashamed. The Israelites had reached a, pro a point where they couldn't even blush. They're, they were so warped in their uh, sense of values. And we don't want to be like that. We don't want to allow ourselves to get like that. That's why that candlestick is so important for us to make sure it is not removed. The Lord said in Revelations 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Nurturing and discipline is something that we need, that we want and we should be grateful for. And if we don't have it, then guess what? We're going to be as children growing up without discipline, spoiled brats, doing whatever they want, running rampant. That's, that's not a good thing. That's never a good thing. Uh, we need the discipline and the nurture of our Lord. And our final point when we're talking about the removal of the lampstand is that Jesus just gives us up. He's just giving us up. It's like, okay, this is what you want to do? Okay, go do it. Just like the father with the in the story of the prodigal son. Now, I want to read Romans 1, 21 through 32, because there is a breakdown in someone's morality when they forsake God. And Romans 1, 21 through 32 describes this. And I want you to listen carefully to what's said, because I'll emphasize the parts that I really want you to understand. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling the mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural uh, relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. <laughs> and though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. 
That's a lot for me to read. But I just wanted to read that to emphasize to you that there does come a time when God gives them up. And once he gives them up, there's no nurturing, there's no discipline, and you're left to just run rampant. And what happens? Sin. Sin gets worse and worse because there's no rudder in your life. There's nothing to direct your path. And so that's a very, very scary thing. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 14, it makes it very clear what can take place if you do not receive the love of the truth. Now that's, I believe, in verse 10 where it talks about the love of the truth. And you can read that in 2 Thessalonians 2. But notice what he says, therefore, since they didn't receive the love of the truth, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. In other words, your conscience can become so warped that you'll believe a lie and you'll believe it heartily with all your heart. And that's a scary thing. What happens when you start believing a lie? I think Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 applies to this when it says, it is impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the heavenly spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then fallen away to restore them again to repentance, seeing they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to be contempt. In other words, you're crucifying Jesus all over again. You've rejected him. And so you believe a lie. You believe that strong delusion. And the scriptures are saying it's impossible to bring you back because you have convinced yourself of this lie. And one scary passage that goes along with this is in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 and 2, when it talks about uh, the Spirit speaking expressly, that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. When you sear your conscience, it's like searing your you know, you, you see a brand put on cows, you know, or even sometimes, I guess today, sometimes people are branding themselves. If you take a hot brand and brand yourself, you're searing the nerve endings on whatever you're branding. And you're not going to be able to, once it heals, you're not going to be able to feel it. There'll be a scar there and you won't feel it because the nerve endings have been destroyed. And this is talking about the same thing, but it's talking about happening to your conscience. And so if the word of God cannot affect your conscience because you've seared it with a hot iron, then it's going to be impossible to bring you back to Jesus. And that is a scary thing. So what I exhort for everyone is the church that they belong to is to work hard, be faithful, and make sure you work to the point that Christ does not remove the lampstand you need that. You need Jesus. You need to be in fellowship with him. You need his nurture and his discipline, and you don't want him giving up on you. That's something that's very, very important. Okay, that's the lesson for this evening. I hope it's been beneficial to you. If you are ever in the Kearney, Missouri area, we'd sure like to see you. Why don't you come visit us? We meet at 9.30 Sunday mornings for Bible study, 10.30 for worship. And we are at 406 North Clark in Kearney, Missouri. And you can learn all about the church by going to kearneychurch.com. 
If you like this lesson, you can hear more like this by tuning to KPGZ 102.7 FM every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Central Time. And if you live outside the Kearney area, then you'll be able to download their uh, uh, app on your mobile device, and you can listen to the uh, sermons that way. Now, I do want to make a note that as of the first of the year, once it's 2024, they are moving us to the 8 o'clock time slot. We'll be at 8 a.m. instead of 7 a.m., so take note of that. Now, Brian Spirits is an Internet show that I'm a part of with two other preachers, and we get together every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time, and we try to study a topic each week as the Bereans did. If you're on Facebook and YouTube and you want to take part, go to carneychurch.com, press on the Berean Spirits app, and you can make comments in the comment section, and we will incorporate that on the show. If you can't join us live uh, on Facebook and Berean Spirits, we leave that up uh, so you can watch uh, past episodes. But now we also publish this on Spotify and Google Podcasts as a, a podcast format, so you can download those anytime you wish. And that also applies to this Gospel Preaching Live. It is also put in Google Podcast and uh, Spotify as well. All right, that's all I have for you. Uh, Lord willing, I hope to come to you again this Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Until then, remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice in it and be glad. This has been Gospel Preaching Live. Join us each week as truth is taught, faith is examined, and beliefs are challenged. Be sure and hit the like button so you can be notified of future episodes. And to watch past episodes, go to our website, carneychurch.com. This has been a work of the Carney Church of Christ.